0: Welcome to Sermon Audio from King Street Church, where it's our purpose to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. For more information about our church, please visit our website at Kingstreetchurch.com. Look at
1: our text this morning on James Chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. What is the source? Of quarrels and conflicts among you. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Do not have because you do not ask. Continuing on. You ask and do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures you adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose he jealously jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us but he gives a greater grace Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. The focus of our time
0: this morning is going to be on the first three verses of what we just heard read. But It's important to hear the whole passage so that we can see it in context. So over the course of the next few weeks, we'll be working through these ten verses. They all kind of go together in some way. No matter where it is that you venture on this planet, on this side of eternity, so long as there are people, there will be quarrels, (coughs) conflicts and battles and wars and any type of wickedness that you can imagine between human beings will exist. Wherever there's a roof, if you can imagine, wherever there's a roof, there's bound to be arguing underneath that roof. If you find a nation... There's sure to be neighboring foes, other nations, other countries wanting to attack. If you can spot a political system anywhere on the planet, you'll soon discover that there's political strife. Husband and wife divorce. Parents abandon their children. Children rebel against their parents. Fellow countrymen rise against one another. To put it bluntly, There is a problem with humanity, a problem that leads to all kinds of wars and rebellion. The issue is not some problem out there floating around. The issue is in here, in our own hearts. In other words, problems and ideas don't fight. People do. Problems don't murder. Ideas don't murder. People do. We are the problem. And to make sense of the evil and the wickedness that we have in the world, we need to make sense of the evil and wickedness of our hearts. It might be easy uh, to point at a terrorist organization. It might be easy to point at the Nazis as evil ones. And that's because we're often so slow to remember our own wickedness. And so any men in the room... Who are married? I only have to ask you a simple question. Have you ever been mean and unkind to your wife? Made her cry? Made her feel unloved? Ladies, have you ever failed to love your husbands? Respect him? Parents, have you ever exasperated your children? To make them just feel overburdened with The things that they've done that are wrong. Children, have you ever disrespected your mom and dad? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then you have contributed to the wickedness of this world. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. And so just ask yourself, what is it that drives us to flash obscene gestures at other drivers just because they cut us off or they don't go in five seconds at the stoplight? Why do we get so angry and ready to chomp at the bit over a simple disagreement with someone or maybe even a slight change in plans that disrupt our plans and our expectations for what we had for the day? Why do you desire what it is that your neighbor has? And get jealous when other people have accomplishments in their lives, when they have a great feat that they've done, or why do you hold bitterness towards someone without them knowing? Why do we do these things? Well, there's a problem in our Hearts. There are pleasures, as James says, waging war deep inside of us. So James concerns himself now with the topic of our pleasures waging war inside of our bodies. And these pleasures that wage war are the source of all the fighting and all the bickering and all the complaining and murmuring in our lives with people that we know and care about and those who are most significant to us. The reason why we fight and bicker and complain and go to war with people we don't even know. And what James seems to really detest more than anything is that in the community of the church, it would be undone and there would be brokenness because of evil pleasures in our hearts rising to the surface. And so he writes this blessed text for us to read and to learn. So maybe you've come here this morning with a marriage that's in shambles. Or perhaps there's a friendship that's gone south and you don't know if it will ever recover. It could be that a family member of yours is no longer in touch. Maybe there's a brother or a sister here in our own church that you struggle to get along with or that you have some kind of problem with. Maybe you feel some type of enmity towards someone. And you're wondering, why do we always fight me and this person I live with? Me and this person that I know. Why does it seem impossible to spend more than an hour with this individual? Why do they make me so angry? Why are they always at each other's throats? Why are we always at each other's throats? And my dear friend, the answer to our questions here will be given to us in this text this morning. And as verse 6 says, but God gives a greater grace, which means there is hope. So we're going to be looking at two things about quarrels and wars and battles that we fight with one another. The first thing that we're going to look at is the fact that the source of quarrels is not out there, but in here. The source of our fighting is not out there, but it's in our own hearts. It's the first thing we'll see. And the second thing is that this source is the unfulfilled pleasures that wage war deep inside of us. And so let's begin by looking at the first one, the source of all of our quarrels, that the source is not out there somewhere in some system or in some issue or in some problem. The source is in here, in our hearts. So here we're dealing with which direction we ought to point our finger to cast the blame for our fights, out there, somewhere, or at us. This could be the first time you've read James chapter 4. It could be the thousandth. But no matter how much you've been exposed to this passage and to this teaching, the temptation is always going to be to misdiagnose the source of your issues with others. The temptation that we have is not to deny that there's something wrong in the world. We're very willing to agree and to admit that there's something wrong that leads to fights and wars with one another. Our, Our temptation is a different nature we don't deny that there's a deep source to all the quarrels in the world what we do is we deny that the source of those quarrels is something wrong with us that's exactly what James has come to teach us look at verse one what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members, meaning in your body parts, in your body? He's asking, is not the source the pleasures that wage war in us? And of course, the answer is obvious. It's a rhetorical question to teach us something that the source of quarrels and fights and wars and battles and so on is in our own hearts. There's something wrong inside the hearts of all humanity. My dear friends, we're very willing to admit that something is wrong in the world. But we're very unwilling to admit our part in the matter. This is why so many of us can turn to books and to self-help videos and so-called preaching and counseling. We come with a real question on our heart to the problem. We want to know what's wrong. Why do I do what I do? Why is my marriage the way it is? Why are my children the way that they are? Why why can't me and my friend ever get along? Why are people bickering and complaining in the church? And why does this person, why do I not like this person? They don't like me. So we come and we ask questions about The real source of our problems. We want to know those kinds of answers. We want to know the why of the matter. We already know that there's a what. We already know there's a problem. We feel and know that our relationships are truly broken. That the world is a wicked place where evil happens. But we assume, don't we, that there's a deeper reason for it. And so we ask the question, why? We want to know what's the source. But we come seeking why with fingers ready to point at others. We're often not very ready to point in the mirror. James wants to correct us. He would sit us down and he would talk to us directly. He has no intention of tickling our ears and just making us feel good by telling us what we want to hear. He must give it to us straight. It's loving to give it to people straight, to say, This is the truth. And so he says, is not the source of your quarrels and fights, the pleasures that wage war in you? Modern psychology will tell you that the problem with humanity is out there. Not in here. Perhaps it's your environment. Or just the culture at large. I wonder if we ever stop and ask who creates that culture. Who makes the environment the way that it is? And I'm not going to deny that the Bible teaches us that bad company corrupts good character. I won't deny that we often follow the ways of the world. I won't deny that humanity is influenced by Satan, the prince of the power of the air, according to Ephesians 2. But to say that the main issue is in our environment, in others, in systems, and in demonic influences, that doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't answer the question. It doesn't answer the question of why you and I have hearts that are so willing to be influenced by it. Like we want to be influenced by the ways of the world. We're so willing to be tricked by it and to go along with it. It doesn't answer the fact either that we contribute to the wickedness of the environment that we live in. Friends, if the problem were simply the environment, then you and I could just detach ourselves from it and escape all the problems. We should be able to do it rather easily. Unless, of course, we have hearts that like to be influenced by those environments. This means that humans can change their environments if they want. They can replace their spouses if they think that will help. They can get new jobs. They can start over in new towns. They can work up peace treaties with other nations. Yet, unless their hearts change, the supposed peace in any relationship between any nation will be short-lived. Because there's people involved in those relationships. There's human beings that make up nations. But friends, you don't need modern psychology to be fooled on the matter. All you need is to be a person. Just consider for yourself the last fight that you had with your wife. In which you sinned against her. You were unkind and you were unmerciful. Perhaps for 30 minutes you held it together and then you just couldn't take anymore. And at that point in time, then, yeah, you know, you would admit it, that you sin. But if we were to ask you in the moment, was your sinfulness your fault or hers? In the moment, who were you tempted to blame when that happened? You lashed out at her because of her, right? She wouldn't have gotten you so mad and angry. And wives, before you left, leave your husbands off the hook, your husband might not be wrong in the fact that you were part of the problem. Your husband is not wrong to acknowledge and focus, I'm sorry, your husband is wrong to acknowledge, um, to not acknowledge and to focus only on your wrongdoing, but he's not necessarily incorrect about acknowledging your wrongdoing and that you have done something wrong. And so the question would be have you acknowledged yours as well? The issue is that husband and wife are so willing to point the finger instead of looking in the mirror, and until they acknowledge that the source of the problem is in our own selves, what progress can be made? So long as they think that there's nothing wrong with me, then there will always be something wrong with their marriage. And no improvement will come. And this is the same for any friendship you have, for any church relationships that you have, with any political controversies that go on in our world. One key point in the matter before we turn to the pleasures that wage war. I want you to notice what James doesn't do. James in this text does not deal with who's right and wrong. Supposedly there's an issue going on in this church and he's writing about it, but he doesn't talk about the issue at hand. He doesn't spend time talking about the different arguments on both sides. He doesn't write a letter to say... Now, John, you said this, Peter, you said this, if you only knew, John, that Peter's argument was more logical, that it was better formed and that it was filled with truth, then you wouldn't be bickering and complaining each other. You could come to an agreement. See, James doesn't seek to solve our quarrels and our problems and our relationships by telling us whose position is right or wrong on the matter. He wants us to focus on if our hearts are right or wrong in the matter. Because disagreement does not equal quarreling. I can be right and you could be wrong and we can be civil. You could be right, I could be wrong and we could still talk and be kind to one another. Having different opinions and different takes on some kind of dispute between us doesn't mean that we have to fight. And so there's something deeper than disagreement when it comes to the source of our fighting. The deeper thing is not about right or wrong positions. It's about right or wrong motives. Right or wrong hearts. That's what takes a disagreement and makes it a fight. That's what takes a dispute and turns it into a screaming match. That's what takes a simple negotiation and turns it into a deadly war. It's not an issue to find out who's right or wrong in your conversations. That's something that we should do. You should think through who's right or wrong and try to move forward and correct things. But someone else being wrong in the facts or in an argument that you've had with someone. That is not the source of why you've responded hatefully to them. And lovingly, unlovingly to them. And so let's not treat our contentious and heated arguments with spouses and friends and fellow church members and family members as though something is just simply wrong with their position and they're wrong and that's why I acted this way. That it would be better if we just simply agreed. Instead, recognize that something is wrong with our hearts. The source of quarrels and wars and battles is not disagreement, it's us. And what we do when we disagree. We fight, we get angry, we call each other names. And so we've dealt with which direction to point our finger. The issue, as far as it concerns us, is not out there somewhere. It's in our hearts. So that's the direction that we should point our finger. But what's going on in our hearts that makes us the source of of problems. Well, I want you to notice that James does more than just simply give us a direction to point in. He gets us to point at something inside of ourselves. Now he wants to perform surgery on our hearts and open us up to show us what is going on. The source of quarrels is not just you per se. It's that there's something specific about you and me. There's something wrong with you and me. And so he now spends time to show us that the source of our quarrels is unfulfilled pleasures that wage war in our hearts. Look at verses one and two. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. The source of contentious and sinful relations is unfulfilled pleasures that wage war inside of our hearts. Notice how James gives two answers in a sense. In verse 1 he says, what's the source? That's the question. Then he answers it. It's not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members. Pleasures waging war in your heart. That's the source. Just get the picture of these pleasures having a battle in your heart for your attention and for you to devote your time and your effort to them. That's the source. But in verse 2, he says it slightly differently. He says, so you commit murder and so you fight and quarrel. What comes before that? What leads to that? What leads to the murdering and the fighting and the quarreling? What's the source? He says, you lust and do not have. So you commit murder. You are envious and cannot attain. So you fight and quarrel. So there's a lusting and there's an envious desire that has not been met. We haven't attained it. We don't have it. It's never satisfied, never fulfilled. So in James 1, James says, the source of our relational wars is that we have a war in ourselves We have pleasures that wage war inside of us. And then in verse 2, he says that the source is unfulfilled, unsatisfied lusts and envy. We want and we want and we want and we don't have. And so we take. Well, we put these things together to get a whole picture. The source of quarrels is that we seek certain things for our pleasure. We desire to have our hearts satisfied in certain ways. And those pleasures and those desires motivate us and they drive us and they move us. They wage war in us. And so we want and we want, so we lust and we grow envious of what others have. But because we don't have it, because we have these pleasures that are frustrated and these desires that are not met, we fight and destroy and quarrel and gossip and slander and so on. And so when you come home from a long day and you walk in the front door and something happens with your children and family and things just aren't the way that you hoped they would be whenever you get home, you lash out in anger. When you do that, the issue isn't with the house not being kept or something of the sort or something not going the way that you hoped that it would go. The issue is with your pleasures that wage war. You're ruled by your passions and pleasures. You lust after some particular thing. It could be relaxation when you come home. It could be comfort. And when you don't get it, you seek to cut down and destroy until you do. Well, we would do a much better job to stop and ask ourselves in this moment, how are my pleasures waging war inside of me? What is it that I lust after but I'm not getting that's making me so angry and makes me want to attack? We are creatures. Pleasure. We desire to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that we settle. John Piper talks about how we don't seek our happiness in God, but we settle for the things of this world. We're so often worried and concerned that our desires, um, about our desires, so that we don't count other people's interests as more important than our own. We do things from rivalry and conceit instead of humbly counting others as more significant than ourselves. First Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Yet, yeah, isn't that so hard to do with a pleasure-seeking, lusting, unfulfilled heart? So knowing the source of our quarrels is vital. And friends, not only as it pertains to yourself, but even as you counsel your Friends or as you raise your children. Because other people's main problem is not their situation. Your children's main issue is not their behavior. The issue is that they have pleasure-seeking hearts, and those hearts seek pleasure in all kinds of things. And when they don't get what they want, they fight, and they quarrel, and they complain, and they bicker, and they moan, and they groan. I've heard it said that our hearts are idol-making factories. Picture that in your mind. Our hearts are idle making factories. Which means that behavioral modification might save you from some embarrassment at a restaurant. Especially if you have a small child. It might help you when you go shopping, but it won't save your child's soul. Giving advice to a brother or sister that they just need a new start or a new job or a new home or a new situation that actually might be doing them serious damage. Our friends and family, our children and foes need more than new homes and new opportunities and new manners and new rules and so forth. They need new lives, new hearts. When the issue is an issue of the heart's desire waging war inside of us, we need to wage war and preach the gospel to hearts, to our own hearts, to other people's hearts. Friends, James is giving us a detailed analysis here. He's diagnosing the source of our problems. He opens us up like an MRI and he's searching for hidden issues. And since he finds that the diagnosis is a problem with our lusts, with our desires, with our passions, that we have a sick heart, then we need to treat the problem properly. Just consider, if a patient finds out that their pain and their bones is a result of pain, Cancer. They don't simply take ibuprofen from there on out. It masks the problem. And masking the problem, the cancer still grows and it spreads. It never gets fixed. No, if you have cancer, you start chemo and radiation treatment. Or perhaps a patient has back pain and the doctor says that there's an issue with the disc in the spine. Wouldn't he be a horrible doctor to only send the patient away with medication to treat the symptoms? Because now the patient goes and walks around with lesser pain. Thankfully, they have lesser pain, but they move and they squirm in ways that they shouldn't because it causes more damage now to their back. And so in that case, the treatment of symptoms is unloving. It fails to fix the problems. And not only that, it masks the problems and it makes the problem worse. Friends, our quarrels and our fights with one another, with others, those are symptoms. They're symptoms of a problem in our heart. That our heart that our hearts seek more pleasure in certain things than in God. And when those pleasurable things are kept from us, we lust after them. We desire them to the point of hurting and destroying others in order to get them. And so to simply remove the symptoms, to no longer associate with that brother or sister in the church that you have no issue with, just to leave the church altogether and go to a new one because there's problems there, to ignore and grow indifferent about obvious division and strife, to divorce the love of your youth, to remove yourself from one situation just to go to another, to simply fix the symptoms is to ignore the source of the symptoms and no matter where you go and where you move the common denominators will be we will always be there and we bring with us if not corrected if not renewed our sick hearts it's like taking Tylenol for a sore throat when you really need antibiotics to kill the strep It's like taking pain medication for a sore knee when you really need surgery on the tendons. Simply resorting to removing yourself from the environment and correcting your behavior is to refuse to focus on the heart of the matter. And friends, that can be eternally deadly. Though our eyes may not want to come to grips with the diagnosis that the physician James gives us here. We need to hear his assessment for the sake of our lives. I wonder how many of you have been trying to fix your marriage with practical tips and tricks instead of focusing on the heart. Ladies, we'll just ask you, do you know your husbands? And if you know him well, I'm, I'm sure he would admit to this himself if he's being honest. You'll know the hopelessness of getting him to change just because. If you want to know him, know more than just what he does with his actions. Know why he does it. Know what makes him tick and what makes him move and what he loves. What does he seek pleasure in? What makes him afraid? And pray for him there. And read the Bible with him there. Apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to those wounds And to those sore spots, help him to treasure Jesus where he treasures other things instead. That's where you must go. And he might be like a tough man with a tough shell. He could be an angry man. He could be an indifferent man. He could be a cold man. Your job is to preach Christ and Him crucified. Because you are better suited, wise, more than anyone else on the planet, of knowing what's really going on in his heart. So show him the warmth of Jesus' love wherever you find that his heart is cold. And then watch God do his work on the symptoms. You go to the heart. Go to the pleasures. Go to the deep and hidden things in his life. And shine the light of Jesus there. And do do that for yourself as well because you need it just as much. And then take hope because verse 6 says, God gives a greater grace. Or men, how do you hope to change the nature of what happens under your roof? If you're not happy or pleased with your family life. Does it start with your own heart? What is your solution to end the quarrels in your house? And does your solution start with the sight of knees going on the ground and prayers being uttered to God? Do you have in your mind Bibles opening and earnest pleading with your own heart and with the hearts of your wife and with your children? I would just encourage you to try it for a week, for the weeks to come, prioritizing your own heart, taking pleasure in Jesus above all things, being in a spirit of thankful and constant prayer, asking God early in the morning to help you to lead your family. Friends, the fight is too important for your home for you to sleep in and miss that. Get up and pray. Open the Bible to find nourishment and then feed the hearts of your wife and children with all that is good. Put more than food on the table. Put forth the bread of life in your house for people to consume. In all things, seek to see your family changed in the heart at the point of their pleasures and their desires and what they want. Seek to see the pleasures of Christ wage war in their hearts instead of the pleasures of this world and then see the symptoms change. Because this is the source. And verse 6 says, God gives a greater grace. Draw near to Him. He will draw near to you. And parents, the same thing applies to your children. And members of King's Tree, this applies to us as a body of Christ. In fact, in verse 11, James is going to encourage us to not speak against each other or to complain against each other. To not fight and quarrel. Well, this begins as their hearts are humbled. As they no longer lust and grow envious, but they're satisfied in the goodness of God. And so the charge here from James, by getting us to recognize where the source of these problems lies, to try to not fix our problems and to grow in holiness through self-helpism and some tips and 10 things that you can post on your refrigerator. And if you do those, it'll work. We have to know each other's hearts and apply the gospel of Christ to each other with precision. And as verse 6 says, and as we'll continue to say, and as we'll see in the upcoming verses, God gives a greater grace. You might be here this morning and you have no business thinking about your heart changing and so forth and stopping all of this apart from the one who changes hearts, apart from the one who gives us new life, Because this grace, when it says God gives a greater grace, this grace is ultimately found in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Just consider, this text talks about everyone who lusts and doesn't have. All who grow envious and can't attain. They never get satisfied, never fulfilled. So they fight and they try to get more and more. And they step on one another to do it. And they quarrel with each other to do it. What did we read in John 4? That Jesus is the living water so that all who drink from Him will never thirst again. You can lust and never have. You can grow envious and never attain. Or you can drink of the living water and never thirst again. Jesus teaches that He's the bread of life that came out of heaven, so that all who partake in Him will never hunger again. And so if lusting and not having is the problem, then Jesus, who satisfies our hunger the one who who satisfies our thirst, He is the only solution. Friends, the source of our quarrels and wars is not out there, but it's in us. And it's the unfulfilled pleasures waging war in our souls. But God gives a greater grace.